When Jesus came on his great rescue plan, he didn't just come and do it all himself. He came and he got 12 disciples. And he said, come on, I want you to do the work of the ministry with me. Now, were these guys the most gifted in the land? Surely not. Did they have it all together? Surely not. Did they make a million mistakes? They sure did. But by the book of Acts, God is using each one of these men in very powerful ways. The disciples were certainly not the best choices for ministry. They made several mistakes and had quite the personalities. Yet Jesus used these people to do amazing things in spreading the gospel message. Today, Pastor Daniel will be reminding you that God can use anyone, and frequently does, to do good in this world. God used Moses, and he was a murderer with an anger problem. God will use you too if you're willing to let him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 24 as he begins his message, Affirmation. Open up to Exodus chapter 24. If you recall, Exodus chapters 22 or 21, 22, and 23 We call that the Book of the Covenant. We spent a good amount of time looking at these various laws and why they're there. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from so many of you is when you read the Book of Exodus, it reads, sometimes you're like, okay, it's like a law, it's a law, it's a law. But we don't actually think about the ramifications of why those laws are there. And so we looked at things like when we neglect things, how that looks. Is our intent to do good or to do evil? We talked about things like that the way we treat someone has actually nothing to do with how we feel about them. And that's a huge lesson. So many people are like, man, Pastor Dan, that's a really serious statement. Because so often how I feel about somebody dictates how I treat them. And Jesus said that we should love our enemies. So right and wrong is not dictated by emotions. It's dictated by the heart of God. And so we've been studying these things and seeing these things. In Exodus chapter 24, we find now that the children of Israel are going to affirm that covenant. God has been telling them, these are the parameters of our relationship. And the children of Israel are going to say, you know what, God? We are in. That's what, to, that's what tonight's going to be all about. So look at what happens. In Exodus chapter 24, picking up in verse 1, it says, Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, or Abihu, depending on how you like to slabify that name, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, notice in verse one, the Lord is calling Moses to go up to the Lord and he's supposed to bring people with him. He brings Aaron, who's his brother. He brings Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron's two oldest sons. And these sons were meant to be the next high priest. But if you remember from the book of Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 10, just to make sure that in Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, they offered profane fire before the Lord and they died. And we'll get to that a little bit in Leviticus chapter 10. But it's interesting, now Moses has been doing much of the interaction with the Lord. And now God's saying, look, I want you to bring other people. I want you to bring Aaron. I want you to bring Nadab and Abihu. I also want you to bring these elders with you. These 70 elders. And I want them to worship from afar. Now, there's a couple things here. First, notice that now God's design, it had been mostly Moses or Moses and Aaron. And now you got some 74 people who God is summoning. Why? Because that's how discipleship works. Nadab and Abihu were going to learn how to be high priests by watching their father, Aaron. The 70 elders were going to learn what it means to be a spiritual leader for the children of Israel by watching Moses and Aaron. You can call this apprenticeship, mentorship. It's something that as Christians, we should be very passionate about because this is exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus came on his great rescue plan, he didn't just come and do it all himself. He came and he got 12 disciples. And he said, come on, I want you to do the work of the ministry with me. Now, were these guys the most gifted in the land? Surely not. Did they have it all together? Surely not. Did they make a million mistakes? They sure did. But by the book of Acts, God is using each one of these men in very powerful ways. So notice that, and and this is an important encouragement for all of us, that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you need to start inviting people along with you. That's how people learn. That's how they understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to serve the Lord. I'm so grateful for my pastor. I got, when I got to this church in the Bay Area. I was 24 years old and I was a pretty new Christian and and my pastor invited me over to his house. I'd never seen a godly marriage before. I never saw what godly child rearing looked like. And this man invited me over to his house and I ate dinner and I watched the way he spoke with his wife and I watched the way he talked with his kids. And then he'd be like, listen, I'm gonna go do a hospital call. Why don't you come along with me? And I remember being in the car being like, so what are we gonna do? He's like, you're gonna do nothing. You're just going to watch. And if they ask you a question, you can answer them. But just watch. Just pray. And it was awesome because he taught me how to do ministry by letting me join him on what God was calling him to do. And that is old school apprenticeship, discipleship. And I'll be honest with you, that's how we grow as believers, by being invited along. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. As you serve the Lord, don't do it alone. Invite somebody along with you. They don't even have to be useful. 
Just invite them along. And as you're serving the Lord and, you know, just talk to them about what you're doing. And what happens over time is that I've heard it said that true ministry is caught. It's not taught. It's like a disease. Because all of a sudden you go do it. You go do the ministry with someone and someone's blown away. Like how that happened? You're like, I don't know. We prayed before we went in. We said, God show up. God showed up. And we're all being like, wow. So I love this now because it's not just God being like, come on, Moses. We're going to get real deep with the Lord. I'm going to teach you all these commandments and it's all for you because you're the spiritual giant in the land. He's like, no, no, I want you to bring Aaron with you. I want you to bring Nadab and Abihu, his sons. I want you to bring 70 elders and we're all going to come. Now, everyone's not going to do the same things, but God wants people along for the ride. So brothers, sisters, listen, take people along for the ride with you. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. You get a chance to nurture people. Help people understand. And listen, if you're the kind of person you're like, I just want to learn, just invite yourself along with people then. Jesus did it all. It's very Christ-like. Remember Jesus? He was walking and Zacchaeus is in the trees. like, Zacchaeus, come on down. We got to go eat at your house today. He just invited himself over. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did in your life? He just invited himself in. It's like knocking, like, hey, can I come in? You're like, oh, yeah, sure. And Jesus is like one of those guests. He just never leaves, you know? You invite him in. He stays the whole time. After a while, you're like, man, it was really great. It's great that he's around all the time. And I don't ever want him to go away. That's how Jesus works. So just invite yourself along. Invite yourself into it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But I like this because, because God wants other people to grow. It's not just about Moses and Aaron, who we've been seeing so much of. Now Nadab and Abihu and these 70 elders... They're all meant to be useful for God's kingdom. Now notice though, in verse 2, he does say, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, and they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So don't miss this now. Everyone's supposed to come, but Moses is the mediator. Moses is the only one who's allowed into the holy presence of God. And this style of spirituality was put right into the whole DNA of the children of Israel. We're going to start finding when we look at chapters 25 and 26 about the tabernacle, how there's going to be a veil between the holy place, which is where all the priests could go, and the holy of holies, where only the high priest could go, and all the people could only stay outside in the courtyard. So this all speaks of the holiness of God, but what happened when Jesus died on the cross? That veil between the holy place and the holy of holies was ripped Not from the bottom up, but from the top down. And so maybe back in the day, only certain people were allowed into the presence of God. Now, because of the dispensation of grace that we have, because of the finished work of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have free access. And you are holy, not because somebody did a special ceremony over you. You are holy because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus has cleansed you cleansed you on the inside. And I love this about the gospel, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus, you could have been the most raunchy, nasty person who ever lived, and Jesus sees you white as snow. Because the work of Jesus is that profound. And so for each one of us, brothers and sisters, you don't need to go through me or another pastor or a priest or a this or a that or a prophet or an evangelist. You just go to Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, my doors are wide open. Just come on in. And that gospel 
scandalizes people. It blows. It's like, you're telling me I can have free access into the presence of God at any time simply by believing in Jesus? You know what the answer to that question is? Yes. It's really true. And those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have experienced this. Where you or I, when we get on the knees of our heart and we say, oh God, I want to know you. God says, ah, yeah, I want to know you too. I want you to know me. Everything about me. I want to share all of me with all of you for all the world. So brothers and sisters, don't think that there's a hierarchy into God's presence. If you're with Jesus, you're on the guest list. You come in and out anytime you want, but let's go in and stay in. But at this point, at this point, it's only Moses going in. Now notice what happens. In verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of his judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Now notice that. Moses comes from the Lord. He says, look, this is, this is the deal. And all the people with one voice totally united said, yeah, we'll do it all. So there's an affirmation. We want in on this. But notice what happens. It's a verbal expression of God's will. They say yes. Look what happens in verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent the young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And verse 6, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord had said, we will do and be obedient. Notice, this covenant is twice affirmed. First time Moses told them, they said, we'll do it. Then he goes and he writes it all down. And he reads it to them. And then they say, yes, we'll do it and we'll be obedient. I think there's an important point here. That culture was not a literary culture. It was an oral culture. Most people didn't read, yet God still put it in a book. And I like that about the Lord. That is why here at Crossroads, and I believe in all of the churches that are profoundly passionate about God, God put it in a book. He put it in a book. He wanted to have a very real, very tangible representation. See, and let's be honest. When we write something down, it has some power, doesn't it? When you sit down and you own it and you say, you know, like how many of you journal and you have to write down those really hard things about the garbage in your heart? It's one thing to see like, yeah, man, I'm really struggling. And you're real general. And then you go sit down, and you write it down. And then it's there on a piece of paper and you got to look at it. You're like, yeah, ooh. You know, it's open. it looks worse on paper, right? Because it's tangible. It's concrete. It's unadjustable. It's unadjustable. So Moses told him, he said, yeah. And then Moses went and wrote it down. He read and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we take God's word seriously. And listen, I know there's some of you in here. You went to to college. You're just hearing this thing. Oh, you can't trust the Bible. It's unreliable. I want to reason with the skeptics in here. And I reason with you as a fellow skeptic. 
I've always said, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up believing the Bible. I didn't have parents who said, listen, the Bible is the word of God and it's inerrant and it's infallible. It's the only rule for life and faith. And you just believe it. I grew up believing it. No, 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 no. That was not my experience at all. I was like the classic. I never read it, but I know it's not true. And I know that the Bible's wrong. And I had all those little proof texts that people throw out there to show, oh, the Bible's so absurd. You know, and you don't know anything except these few verses that you, I mean, now you just Google them. But back in the day, someone just told you, oh, it says that if you curse your parents, you should be stoned. You know, and like, oh, look how absurd it is. Never, there's no depth to it. There's no thoughtfulness to it as if God is on the surface. I'm here to tell you this. Unless you do not believe that any book that you are reading at any time, whether it's the newspaper, People magazine, unless you're willing to say that that isn't really what those authors wrote, the Bible is absolutely reliable. There's so many manuscripts. Literary criticism has been very good to the Bible. Don't miss that. Classic enlightenment. We're going to disprove everything about God. Literary criticism has actually strengthened the case in the veracity of the Bible. Go to any classics department. Seriously, at any university and ask them, is the Bible, is it a reliable document of antiquity? Now, in a classics department, they're not concerned with the theology. They're concerned with documents of antiquity. See, if you go to a sociology department or a religion department, they're concerned with theology. But a classics department is only concerned with documents of antiquity. So if you remove the theological component from it, is this a reliable document of antiquity? Bar none. Four times more, four times more ancient manuscripts than the next most manuscripts, which is Homer's The Iliad. And I've never once heard someone say, Homer didn't really write The Iliad that way. Not one time. And the Bible's got four times as many manuscripts. It's funny though, but everyone, oh, you can't really trust the Bible. There's four times, there's over 1,500 manuscripts. So this book that God has given us from Genesis to Revelation, what we call the Old and the New Testament, very reliable, very reliable. And you say, oh, but there are some disputed verses. You take out those 33 disputed verses, not one of them is a necessary verse for any core doctrine of Christianity, not one of them. You can take them all out. You can dismiss them all. You still have classic Christianity right there without those 33 verses. And you would say, oh, well, then how can it be God's word? If there's disputed verses, well, let me do a reality check. These people were persecuted. It wasn't like we're in an ivy tower theological school and we're copying things like in the children of Israel's day where they had scribes and their only job was copying stuff down. These people were being persecuted first by the Jewish people, then by the Romans. If they got found with these documents... They lost their lives. They weren't meeting in beautiful churches with signs on the road saying, hey, come and worship with us. They were worshiping underground for fear of their lives. This wasn't like a, a well-funded operation. People who were fishermen were writing these things down, copying them, trying to pass them around. If there wasn't any discrepancies, they would say that that proves that the, the documents aren't reliable. See, when someone wants to disprove the theology of the Bible, they'll use anything. But actually, for documents of antiquity, if there is no at all 
confusion, they say, well, back in the day, they didn't have the printing press. They couldn't give you, like today, when you get a book, every single book looks exactly the same. It wasn't like that. It was dip, scratch, dip, scratch, parchment, smears, all these things. It was an imperfect science back then. So I say all that to talk to the skeptic. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face on the Bible. Do the homework. But listen, if you don't want to change your position on the Bible, then don't do your homework. Because if you actually look into the veracity of these documents, you're going to say, there is something different about this book. You will. A lot of people have tried. Trust me, I was one of them. Tried. Failed miserably, but won in failing. Because it's God's word. Don't neglect it. Spend time there. You don't have to read 9,000 chapters every day, but if you do, you'll enjoy it. Just get in the book. Read a psalm. Read the gospels. Get into Paul's writing. Listen, this is my thing. And I, I got to move on from here. I'll be here all night. This is my thing with the Bible. The things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. The first time you read the Bible, there's going to be all sorts of things you don't understand. And guess what? I've been reading the Bible for 15 years. There's all sorts of things I still don't understand. Pastor Bill's been reading the Bible for 55 years. There's all sorts of things he doesn't still understand. Some of you in here, like my sister Ruby, she's been reading the Bible for 90 years. And she tells me that I'm a good teacher. I'm like, that's crazy. Ruby's been reading the Bible for 90 years, but she's saying I'm a good teacher. Because listen, we never arrive spiritually. We believe in Jesus, we're cleansed, and then we're constantly growing. And so as you read through the Gospel of Matthew the first time, you learn a whole bunch of stuff. And as you read through it the 50th time, you learn a whole bunch of stuff. You read through it the 50,000th time, and you're like, I can't believe I ever read this before. I never realized that all this was in there. Why? Because we're constantly growing and God's word is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it goes down to the division of soul and spirit. Where is that division? Only God would know. Of joints and marrow. Where is that division? Only God would know. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts as it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. So get in that book, man. Just, just dive into it with reckless abandon. If you don't, and if you don't understand something, say, Lord, I don't understand that. But don't get stuck on what you don't understand because God wants to speak to you and he'll meet you right where you are. He'll meet you right where you are. God wanted us to have his word in a book. So there's no denying it. There's no, oh, it was the telephone game and we didn't really hear it all right. And it's changed. It hasn't changed. It's very, very reliable. In lots of different languages. God designed it this way. So don't be afraid of the word of God. My pastor used to always say, when he got his dad's old Bible, when he just first gave his life to Christ, he opened up the cover. And I love this. I put this in Obadiah's Bible when he was born. This book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. Jesus is Let's be honest, there's a lot in the Bible that's confusing. There are many passages and verses that can leave you questioning. In today's message, Pastor Daniel tackled some of these, but also encouraged you to dive into the hard things on your own. You don't always need a pastor or spiritual leader to tell you what to think. You can learn from this great book yourself. Today, spend some time in God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal its meaning to you. 
If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at crossroadschurch.net. That's crossroadschurch.net. Hi, friends. Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family, but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues to walk through some strange laws with you describing certain practices that the Israelites were requested to do. In all of these laws and regulations, though, you can see Jesus. Pastor Daniel will be pointing out God's salvation plan and how these laws really do relate to his son's greatest act of love. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Sinai. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.